Hi, everybody. Welcome to CCW Safe Podcast. I'm Rob High, your host here in Oklahoma City. Uh, joined today by our Chief Operating Officer, Stan Campbell, back at the home office, and our critical response team manager, Gary Eastridge. And All then right. joined today, we are so honored to have Mr. Stephen Maddox with us. And Stephen, we, we mentioned you very, very frequently in a lot of the things that we do, talking to members about do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Um, but we've never had an opportunity here in the last couple of years to, to bring you in for something like this. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to, to share a little bit of your, uh, your information and some things learned and lessons that, that other people can, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel um, to, to see what, what were the things that went right? What were the things that we wish we could have done better? Um, that's part of, you know, with Gary and I, that's, that's our mission every single time that we have an incident we have to deal with is to improve in any way that we possibly can. So, so welcome so much, man. We are so glad to have you on today. Thank you. It's absolutely pleasure to be here with you all. I consider the CCW Safe uh, team family. So it's um, a pleasure to be invited to to talk to you all today. That's awesome. Stan, you want to kick us off? Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, this really is like a family reunion for us because, like, um, you know, there's there's companies that do what we do, but um, when we bring you guys in, I mean, I mean, there's just there's no comparison. Like, like we really do look at our members as family, especially when in their in their their time in need. You know, working through something that's most traumatic thing that they've ever dealt with in their lives. You know, and you know, um, being that you know Stephen really was the first. You know, we it was theory for all of the companies until Stephen, and then you know Stephen in 2015, you know, really was. Um, the case that kind of kicked off the industry in reference to the worst case scenario. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on. Um, we're going to discuss some things about the case a little bit um, that made it challenging. Um, but, you know, it was a case in which at the specific time of the incident, you know, you're, you're dealing with an unarmed black man, right? And you're using force on it. And, um, in 2015 through 2017, really volatile time where that was a um, that was a hot button topic, and you know we had to deal with it. Uh, we had a lot of faith in Stephen. Um, you know, um, we were so happy that we were there for him. We'll allow him to speak on that, but um, it's just something that this relationship has built, and we continue. You know, we we get cards from Stephen. We check on him periodically. He checks on us as well which is special to us is that it's not just us reaching out as part of the job. You know, Steven reaches out like a family member and we do the same. So we're really happy. I'm sure Gary feels the same way. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that we offer as a company that no one else does is the actual response team. And when Rob and I roll out, we were just on, out uh, in a Western state recently on, on an event and you build a relationship, you, you, you're, you're working with somebody that has just experienced the most traumatic thing in their life. 
and to offer our guidance and a little bit of support and comfort uh, is really rewarding for me personally. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's actually it, it's something that we hope nobody ever has to to go through. But the reality of of the world these days, we, we know it's something that has a potential all the time. Um, and not to make this sound weird in any way, but that's kind of the thing that Gary and I kind of live for. That's the, the thing that we, we get the most job satisfaction from is getting to come in and because having been involved in shootings, having been shot at, having had family members involved in shootings, all of the above, we can see things through a different lens than most people can. And to be able to come in and go, listen, everything that you're feeling right now is right. It's normal. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with what's going on with you right now. Um, even the simple fact, and I've seen police officers do this over and over again. Um, when, when I'm involved in such a significant use of force, I, I really want to tell my side. I, I, I'm positive that everything I've done was right. And just let me tell you about it real quick. I just want to get this out here and, and tell you what happened. And um, on the other side of that, having studied these things and worked these and been involved in things, uh, I have an understanding, Gary, and, and have an understanding of what a trauma memory does and how, how those things get a little messed up in our heads. And it's not a lie. It's a traumatic memory. And things get jumbled and out of sequence and all kinds of things. And if we if we get into that too soon, it's something that can really kind of throw up a red flag for an investigator. And not all investigators understand what traumatic memories are like. That's something that you have to learn over the course of time. And, and sometimes it takes a whole career to get there. Hey, Stephen, before um, Rob gets into your actual case and we do a recap, um, I wanted to kind of piggyback Rob's thought on traumatic memory. Um, like for you, cause, cause I, I used to preach this all the time when, you know, Mike and I did the podcast about, you know, when you, it's unnatural to take a human life, regardless of the situation. And when you are forced to do so that you actually adopt that life. I mean, it stays with you, be it the memory of that location, the memory of a certain smell, the date, you know, all of those things, regardless of how good you're doing. Can you talk on that a little bit for us about, you know, I mean, we're talking several years later, is it seven years later? Seven years and um, you, you hit it right on the head. One of the things is, you know, I'll start by saying, you know, life is precious, right? So the last thing you wanna be is be in a position where you cause harm to anyone, right? Um, but, you know, with all the evidence that came out and everything that, you know, that, that happened that night, it was, it was clear that, um, you know, if, if I didn't lose my life, there was a chance of that of, of serious injury beyond the injuries that I did suffer. So I'll, I'll say that, um, you know, life is precious, right? And the last thing we want to do is be responsible, even when it's justified to, 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 to play that role in um, having to take a life. Um, and it, if, if, if you say that there's no um, fallout from an event like that, um, that not only for you, but your family, um, something might be psychologically wrong. 
Um, but, you know, for, for, for me, just like, you know, like you all that's been faced with these situations and anyone else that have had to take a life, whether it's in the line of duty or whether it's, uh, you know, just to defend their family, home or their, their, their you know, their life, it's, um, it's something that, that does not go away. Um, you know, I, I consider myself and, you know, we, we've talked a lot, um, you guys got, got a chance to know me on a personal level and all the things that I've been through, um, you know, the, the mental aspect of, of trying to stay healthy. Um, yeah. I just got to say that for every member out there, anyone that has the responsibility of carrying a firearm that, you know, while you may think that you can get through it, or you're mentally strong, um, think about your family, think about your children, you know, think about everyone else that's impacted by that, right? Someone else's family. Um, uh, it, it was clear that I had no choice that night, but it doesn't um, sit well with me that there's somebody without a father, right? Uh, there's somebody without a possible, you know, so those things, you know, do play a role. And I, I, I do think about that a lot. Um, and for me, there was nothing more than um, me wishing that I had the ability to say beams, you know, Scotty beam me up and I disappeared from that situation. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's not reality. Unfortunately, things played out that night with several attacks um, before I had to make that life-changing decision to um, fire, pull that trigger. Um, but the decision of me doing that is, is I sleep well and at the end of the night by knowing that had I not did it, um, my family would have been grieving my loss possibly. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, we, we applaud you in saving your life. And, you know, we also agree with, you know, circumstances that you had no other choice but to, and that, you know, that too is another, you know, thing that we discuss all the time is that, you know, if you have the opportunity to, you know, de-escalate and avoid the incident, please do so. Your case, you could not, you know, we, we run into still a lot of problems, you know, each year and we try to love them through it, through resources. And, uh, but, you know, you know, a lot of our members still get in trouble because they're too quick to pull out their firearm. They're, they're not avoiding the incident. They're moving forward. They're pushing beyond self-defense, you know, so they're engaging as an aggressor, which we can't tolerate. Um, I mean, there's things that, you know, we try to hit home with our articles and our podcast, and we really speak to them in, in, in a real way, you know, because trust me, like we have the resource to take care of you, you know, when you make mistakes, but we try to, you know, save you from yourself is what we really try to do. And yeah. that's the importance of doing something like this. And even though, you know, discussing it with you again, you know, yeah. to you know, get the message out there that, you know, guys, you know, this is, if this is real, you know, if you've never been involved in, we've all, all as officers have been involved in hundreds of, you know, incidents where, you know, for us, it could have been traumatic. Some have been involved in shootings and taking lives as well. You know, yeah. Rob and I, we've been shot at several times and we've had to deal with, you know, shootings on the other side of it, the investigative side or yeah. the supervisory side. So, I mean, it's a I, lot that goes with it. Yeah, I, I think one of the things is both you and Rob brought up the aspect of police officers. And, you know, one of the things is police officers go through, uh, uh, you know, I can't even probably imagine how much training is involved with preparing you for that situation that hopefully you never, you know, have to be in as a police officer, right? And one of the things is every opportunity I, 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 I get to talk about this subject is I, I say, think about the citizen that has, does not have all that training 
and when they're put in that situation, how do they react and how things are and all your senses are just on overload and adrenaline going through your body and, and just feeling like, you know, like, like you're, you're, you know, it's, it's, it's just something my, my body was not prepared for that. And as an officer, you guys go through that training and you kind of, you, you kind of anticipate and you kind of, you know, you go through, you know, whether it's at the range, whatever it is, right? So one of the things is, you know, you know, God bless police officers that are put in that situation. But one of the things is, I like to speak at it from uh, the, the, the ordinary citizen um, and, and, and what you have to deal with, because I can spend a lifetime, you know, replying back to things I see on social media where someone says, oh, you know, or, or next door app where someone says if they break into my garage or I'm gonna shoot them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't wanna be in that situation. And, you know, and, and the thing about it, you know, with, you know, with social media these days, even if you're in a situation you're justified, and two weeks ago you talked about how you was gonna shoot some teenager if they mm -hmm. you know, went in your car, all that's gonna be used against you. Um, Absolutely. Um, fortunately for me, there was you know, 50,000 pages of social media and, uh, that was subpoenaed for both me and um, uh, my attacker. Uh, fortunately for me, that it worked in our favor because my attacker did everything about, talked about what he was gonna do to me next time he saw me, right? Um, for me, I wasn't big on social media. I didn't post anything. But had I put anything, whether it was my opinion about what something happened in, 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 a, in a shooting or what I would do if I was put in a situation, that would have been used against me. Absolutely. So I feel like when it comes down to when you go, you go through extensive background check to carry a concealed firearm, and you need to understand that what you type and put out there on social media what bumper stickers you have on your cars, how you interact with people, feeling the need to respond to people, whether they cut you online, all those things can deem you as being aggressive, which basically, no matter what happened, self-defense goes out the window. Yes. Amen. You're, yeah, so. you're touching on something that Rob and I have tried to message over and over and over. First of all, if you don't have any idea you will not have any idea what you will do in a circumstance. You know, you can hope and rely on what little training you've had. And that's, you know, that's one of the downsides out there right now is there's a kind of an active push against making any kind of training mandatory. And that training can prepare you for the situation. But what is desperately lacking is any training on what that impact will be after you survive that initial fight. Uh, and all of those things will be taken into consideration when a charging decision is going to be made. They're going to use that social media to get a snapshot picture of who you are, what your values are, and that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, like Gary's saying, you know, one of the things that we do here at CCW Safe is that you know, uh, those two guys, these two gentlemen, um, Gary and Rob, they're charged with while you're getting talking to the uh, Don West and, you know, we're getting prepared to get you some legal assistance. You know, they're working on, you know, taking a snapshot of your history. So they're they, uh, you know, they have to look at your social media to see what you have up there, see what you like, see what you're posting, see, you know, you know what's open, what can be used against you. And we start making notes like within the first 10 minutes of your, your emergency call. You know, how can we help you if you did do some things like that? 
you know, right. things that should not be on there or that could be, you know, turned around on you, you know, because there's yeah. a lot. Yeah. Even in your case, I recall that there was one comment that you had made during your when you were trying to de-escalate with the aggressor. They tried to take that con that comment out of context and paint you as something that you you clearly were not. Yeah. That's the other thing that, that so many concealed carriers don't think about. If you end up in front of a jury, you're going to be in front of 12 people that have no idea who you are, what you believe in, other than what those attorneys who are painting contrasting pictures of you want them to know. And whoever yeah. paints the best picture is going to be the convincing factor. That's right. The, uh, the justice system is not as such, you know, it's it's really who can tell the most compelling story and be well, believable yeah. to the jury. Go well, ahead. Well, I, yeah, I, I think one of the things is as well, you guys take for granted the, 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 the insight that you have onto the criminal justice system that the ordinary American citizen does not understand, even someone mm -hmm. that's carrying a firearm. So you all understand that, you know, it's, it's basically, you know, I never really understood the whole saying of you can indict a ham sandwich. <laughs> um, basically, um, it's nothing about facts or, or, or reality. For me that night, I was uh, taken into custody um, and I, I you know, called 911. I told them where I was, thought I was doing everything right. And within three hours, I was booked with first degree murder, right? Um, so fortunately, CCW Safe sent out investigators and talked to hundreds of people. There was, there was, there was probably two dozen video cameras out there, over a hundred people that saw the first and second attack, um, mm -hmm. tons of evidence that basically would have made say, let's slow down and really make sure that we're doing this right thing to charge this guy. But once you charge, you know, it's, it's hard to back up from that, even when the facts come out. And, you know, just imagine, you know, you, 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 you face the most critical, um, you know, life making decision that you ever had to do in your life to save your life. You're charged with first degree murder. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they say, oh, you know, we're going to wait two years for you to go to trial. Can you, can you, can you imagine the psychological damage that's done um, that's compounded on top of the fact that you've had to take a life to save your life, now wait two years for a trial and possibly still risk one juror saying, you know what, while he may have been justified, you know, uh, you know I don't think people should have firearms, so I'm going to say he's guilty. I would have spent the rest of my natural life in prison. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to deal with that? So, you know, feeling like you have to say what's on your mind or have a bumper sticker that says, you know, protected by this or that type of firearm, none of that does, you know, any good. It's not going to help. You. Um, hmm. It's not, it's not going to help you. So I, I just, I, I plead in, you know, all the, all the law abiding gun, gun carrying um, citizens out there that that they, they they understand the damage that comes along with being in that position, even when it's justified. That, that's one of the things I always try to touch on. Um, the the way I always describe it is concentric ripples. It's like taking a perfectly calm pond and throwing a big rock right in the middle of it, and those rings just go out and just continue and continue and continue. You have no earthly idea how broad the effects of a single sex involvement can be. And, yeah. and when you're, you know, you've touched on it with 
with family, but I mean, it, it goes to job, it goes to family, it goes to the other involved person's family. Um, it, it just goes on and on and on. Gary and Stan are touched by your incident. They, they were a piece of that at some point. Um, it just is something that nobody, until you've been involved with it, you don't understand the breadth, the depth of some, something like that. And even as a person that was training new investigators, I always cautioned them on marking somebody as a suspect in a case. <laughs> once they're a suspect, you're, you're a sus you've been a suspect forever. I can't undo that. Right. Until I yeah. know, I'll leave you as an involved person and then proceed forward after we develop a little stronger case and we and we have facts to, to support it now you're a suspect or you're an arrestee but those are things that you can't ever wash off you know forever you you will be that guy that has been arrested for first degree murder right and people just don't see how far reaching that stuff is it, it'll follow you forever yeah, uh, it, yeah. it's such a bonus that we had the knowledge and the ability and the system in place to mount a proper defense. Um, Steve, in your case, from the time of that lethal encounter until you were cleared, how long did that take? I'm asking a question I know the answer of. Yeah, it was, it was, it was uh, almost two years. Almost two years. And yeah, during that two years, you were wearing an ankle monitor. You couldn't, your life, you were basically in jail. You were yeah, in absolutely. house arrest. You could go to work and home. Correct? Absolutely. And, and, and even the, the time um, I, I was uh, over supply chain for North America at a company and my manager was in Sweden, Gothenburg, Sweden. So I would travel there as well as down to Mexico to some of our contract manufacturers. I had to give up my job um, just because I, I, my bond condition after I was finally released almost two weeks later, because um, initially it was, uh, I was given no bond. And so I spent, you know, almost two weeks in the county jail, which is a whole episode on its own um, on why you would not want to put yourself through this. Um, but but for me, um, you know, I, my, my, my world was turned upside down even after I was released from the county jail. Like you mentioned, Gary, I had to wear an ankle monitor bracelet. I had to ask for permission to go to my grandmother's funeral. Um, there, there's, 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 you know, tons of, tons of things that, but I do want to talk about some of the, you know, Gary, I know the first time you came to North Carolina, you and Don, um, you brought with your background, you know, you brought, you had an understanding of how the DA would think and look at certain things. We walked through the scene um, where the attack happened. Um, and, and you, you, you and Don asked a lot of questions and then we kind of went through like a little mock trial and, you know, um, Don cross-examined he based off of, uh, some of the, some of the, you know, things that happened there and make, wanted to make sure that I emphasized certain things that happened during the attack. I emphasized the distance I had to run between the first and second attack, the distance I had to run between the third, you know, second and third attack. So, um, bringing that level of experience that you all had. You kind of had, you know, kind of knew exactly how the district attorney would kind of look at this 
and, 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 and you know, move forward in the trial. So some of those things definitely prepared me, uh, we, you know, but um, again, um, no matter how well you're prepared, you leave it up to one out of 12 juries to feel differently and, you know, it's game over. So, um, but I can't emphasize enough about the amount of times you guys traveled to North Carolina and worked with, the, with my uh, local legal team here. Um, I think, yeah. In your yeah. instance, you, you attempted to cooperate completely, uh, including sitting down and, and doing an interview with the investigators. In hindsight, did that help you any? No, it did not. I think, I think one of the things was um, even to the point where, uh, no, it did not, uh, to answer your question. But one of the things is, and this is another thing I'll stress to members, um, slow down and just say, I want to cooperate, but I, I, I need some time. I want my lawyer involved. Um, and I'll tell you why. Um, one of the things in the indictment, um, they wrote in the indictment that he decided to shoot um, when he saw him coming towards him. And what they left out was the most important thing that there was two attacks prior to that. Mm -hmm. So you have this judge that's reading off on his thing saying, you know, reading the indictment, I would have thought that it was premeditated too, but you left out key evidence about yeah. you know, prior attacks. <laughs> so, right. you know, of course, after the two first violent attacks, and I have my firearm, my full 911. And of course, if he got his hands on me again, you know, it, it, it was over. Um, so, so, but you left that information out in the indictment. Um, you know, there was information that um, in the indictment that said that they thought I was right-handed. I, I told them I was left-handed. I volunteered that information. It's on the evidence, but they thought that the fire entry wounds were um, coming down from or coming, coming down from my um, yeah. right hand. Mm -hmm. And later on, and um, when the, the team that CCW Safe hired to look at the, the uh, autopsy results, they, they had the exit wounds marks as entry wounds. And mm -hmm. one of the things that they put in the indictment that, you know, um, Stephen Maddox is 5'9", uh, my attacker was 6'2", and because of the entry wound, I had to be standing on top of him. Well, later on, we found out through forensic evidence that I, he was actually on top of me and I was using my left hand. The bullet wound actually went up the other way as opposed to me using my right hand. So long story short, if it wasn't for that, the, the, the court would have, the, judge, the jury would have listened to the autopsy results from the state um, forensic person. They realized that it was an error six weeks before trial. Mm -hmm. So once we challenged it, they realized that they made a mistake and they had to make a change to the autopsy results. How many people that, does not, that do not have the right representation are sent to prison for the rest of their life because of forensic evidence? Absolutely. People make mistakes too. So had we not had the, the, the team that CCW safe hired to go and challenge those results, then that alone would have sent me to prison for the rest of my life. That's right. And, and, and you know, also, Stephen, you know, um, like I, I like to tell our members and anybody that carries a gun that will listen that you are, especially after following a traumatic incident when you're attacked, you are your first line of defense. And everything that you do and say 
all your reactions can be used against you and you can you know dig yourself a hole a legal hole a situational hole that makes your challenge to prove your innocence that much harder you know um i'm, I'm glad gary brought that up because you know you know the only thing that i saw that was flawed in your case by your actions was speaking to uh, the police and you know investigators prior to having your attorney with you um even as far as to say you know speaking in in front of their vehicle inside their car you know you know citizens need to know we used it to our advantage we we record you know phone calls from jail those are recorded you know all these different things the things that you say when you've just been through something and things are you know this different chemicals that's that's going on in your body and you know things that protect you um you know from the traumatic incident to prepare you for uh, a deadly encounter you know those things kind of play on your memory kind of piggybacking what rob was talking about with traumatic injuries i mean memory as well you know putting those combining those together the things that are happening in that moment you have just snippets of information and that's right. one reason why we try to protect you from you and, and make you wait we're not trying to hide anything but we're trying to make you wait so that you have calmed down for a sleep cycle and we can get the true story from you without you maybe hearing something from a witness and trying to fill in the blanks that you're absolutely going to have because you're human. I I watched your interviews, both of your interviews, because you gave up to the first responder. You gave a statement to the, to the dispatcher. You gave a statement to the first responder. You gave a statement to the investigator. Your story never changed in any of that whatsoever however you told them that your daughter went to the wrong school were you lying about that no it, it wouldn't benefit you to lie about that i even gave her the wrong address to my job i said aviation versus airport right it was it, yeah. was, it, it you know it was it was simple things like that you're, you're rushing trying to download information off your mind and i said aviation versus airport i mean you can easily I told them the right company name, right? So that's something that can be verified through Google. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I, I said that I'm, I was just grabbing, trying to reach and, and, and pull information because, and again, you guys live in, live in this world, right? But the ordinary citizen, including myself prior to the situation is completely ignorant mm -hmm. to the judicial system. And yeah. so for me, one of the things is you think, well, you know, you lawyer up, you'll only guilty people lawyer up. It's not the case. It's not the case whatsoever. Um, the, the, the two police officers, I, I think that, you know, law enforcement in some cases, maybe give them the benefit of the doubt, they're overworked. And here it is, you have a guy that, that, that gave us the firearm. He admitted he did it. Um, you know, let's just close this one out because we're trying to solve other crimes where we have, don't even know what's going on. So I'll, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt and say maybe it was something like that, but, um, it was disheartening to me being ignorant to the judicial system that I cooperated. And then, you know, everything I said will be used against you. And mm -hmm. even if that means they dissect and take small pieces of your story, um, that that's what happened. So but, there, there, there was some regret there. So then if they, they take what you're telling them happened and then their own uh, expert is giving them incorrect information to arrive at a conclusion, you can see how they may have arrived at the conclusion that you weren't being honest. Mm -hmm. 
because well, the bullet was a different direction because their experts said it was coming from a different direction. Well, well, well I'll take this back. One of the things I think if there, there's, you know, uh, forgiveness is one of the things that I try to work hard at um, in the second half of my life as I, you know, uh, approach 50. And one of the things that bothered me the most was um, we found out that the lawyers, when they went to go visit the um, state ex uh, forensics office, um, she pulled out a synopsis of what the police gave her, what they thought happened that night. Mm -hmm. So here it is, the two police officers that interviewed me for three, three hours and did not look at video surveillance cameras, did not look at anything else. They gave that medical examiner a synopsis of what happened that night. I feel that's mm -hmm. very unfair yeah. that uh, a forensic officer is, is your team is using a synopsis of what they thought two police officers saw happen to write an autopsy. And right. so that's dangerous. That's very scary. It is. You know, and the thing about that too, Steve, is that, and of course, we don't police badge because we are them, you know, <laughs> we all had, you know, over 20 years of, of being policemen. But they're not all built the same. They don't all have the same training. Um, yeah. You know, some of them are lazy. We just don't know. But and that that too is the power of us being familiar with the system, be it the DA's office, the homicide office, and the investigative, you know, services. You know, we, you know, we pride ourselves on you know being the experts in the industry and being able to give you our experience along with our response team and the other things, the peer support. Like if we just did one of those things, it would be okay. But having yeah. those three things hit and be sound and cohesive makes us the strongest, you know, company in the industry. And I'm not just saying that because I'm not trying to sell, you know, CCW Safe sells itself. But what we sell is the relationship and our expertise so that, you know, we get you through this and then we continue on with you to make sure that you're all right in life. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll say one of the things is, you know, it wasn't necessarily a synopsis. Um, and Stan, you wasn't, you wasn't, you know, one of the things is, uh, you know, um, Don and Gary actually stayed there during the whole two week trial, right? So they got a chance to listen to the medical examiner that was in there. And if you would have heard the arrogance from her, even when she admitted that it was wrong, they, they amended the autopsy, not only once, but twice, mm -hmm. twice within six weeks before the trial. And then the arrogance, of her when she got up there to basically say, oh, you know, like mistakes happening. She right. actually said she signed off on it, but actually one of her, someone above her that was training actually performed the autopsy. It doesn't matter, you signed off on it. And then the arrogance that she just, and the dismissiveness of basically that, oh, well, it's a mistake. You know, um, you know, Kurt Smith did an outstanding job ripping her apart, but you know, ladies, I was I was going to go away to prison for the rest of my life because of this report. And, and on top of that, that she yeah. required our team to pay her to interview her so we could point out that she had made the mistake that she readily admitted. Yeah. So good point. So if, even if I had five hundred thousand dollars and i say this all the time i would not have known how to spend that money ccw say sent the attorney to her and that right there was a nail in the coffin on basically saying that this guy is innocent this report is nonsense and had we not done that i think it would have been uh uphill value because one of the other things was um there was they thought i shot him from a distance we actually i, I fired the last three shots when he was on top of me 
the, the team that you hired was able to see that the gun residue from the revolver was actually pressed up against his body and you can see the stains on his clothes from the gun residue. That's something that the police officers during the trial, the police officer, I, I, I've never seen that before. I, I have no idea what revolver, you probably could correct me, Gary, but it was something with about the distinct pattern of the Cylinder revolver. gap burning. Cylinder gap, cylinder gap. And so, you know, the experience that CCW Safe brought to the team not only helped uh, provide guidance to the jury, but they also helped provide guidance to the, the, the my legal team. They worked very well with the legal team for that two years. Hey, Rob, uh, talk real quick on, because he keeps, Stephen keeps talking about the team, right? And those that we hired, you know, because you are an expert witness and um, speak on the importance of the support team that helps an attorney win a case. Absolutely. Um, you know, well, the very beginning of that is is the attorney and somebody that does a self-defense practice is so much more prepared for this kind of incident than just a criminal defense attorney. That, that's a very specialized niche. These guys absolutely understand that we're not hiding from this, that we're not saying that we didn't do this. We did this. This is quantity. Um, and then to bring in, whether it be a crime scene reconstructionist or a, or a shooting reconstructionist, or you know, bring Gary in as a homicide investigator or myself as a use of force investigator, and we can explain all the variables that go into making this a last ditch effort. This is, there was no other options left. There are the things that, that can properly explain to a jury who, who really doesn't have that understanding. Um, it was something that Stephen, you yourself wouldn't have had that understanding. I mean, you knew when you were at that very end that if I don't act now, I'm going to die. Um, to have that kind of, of background and training and be able to articulate that in such a manner that is recognized by the court. Um, it's something that, that a lot of people don't understand this. You could not walk into court and just give an opinion. Well, in my opinion, it's this. An expert can, based on of that training and expertise, um, real-world uh, involvement that it, it's also a reason that, that experts guard their opinions so much. I mean, there are, there are guys like this in the industry that, in, in any, any industry, that once they get that little tag, they, they kind of sell out and do whatever. I worked way too hard to, to become an expert, to ever do anything to jeopardize that. I've been contacted by people that ask me, can you help us get, work this case and, and you know, get this guy off? Well, no, that guy's guilty and he needs to, he needs to accept what he did. I've, I've had those guys call me. Mm. So it, it, it is a big deal it, um, to be able to, to go in and, break this into layman's terms where a jury can understand this and then go, oh, I get that. 
speaking of that team, that team starts from the initial response, assessing the scene, getting the, that information to the attorneys. And I'll touch on our recent case here in a minute, but I wanted to talk real quick. And Steve, in your case, we came out and I spent my last 10 years with a, with a prosecutor's office and I had never seen this done. We actually, they sat me behind the defense bench as they were calling the jury. We had a jury consultant team, some of us out in the courtroom, some of us as far away as in Orlando, Florida. As soon as a name was given, that name was data mine, social media, the things we talked about earlier about social media comments. We had people in real time researching those potential jurors' social media content. Mm -hmm. And if they expressed a certain bias or something like that, it would help us in the selection process. Uh, <laughs> I was so impressed with that, even as much experience as I've had seeing that in operation. That's something a prosecutor's office <laughs> generally doesn't have the luxury to do. Uh, and I want to talk real quick on kind of the way this this one of our most recent cases diverges from yours is we had a member who was involved in an incident, a serious incident. Uh, Rob and I spent three days with that member uh, gathering evidence, being able to relay that to the defense team that we hired. And in that case, the member had declined to give an interview without representation. We were able through Don West, Don ended up going to the location, working with that member's attorney, were able to craft a uh, proffer uh, for the prosecutor saying, this is what we will say happened. In that case, there was video evidence and no charges were filed. Still a very traumatic incident for our member. However, Steve, you ended up with almost two years of living hell, mm -hmm. and he ended up with about a week and a half of living hell. Yeah. So that, just that decision not to give an interview mm -hmm. uh, could be a, a big portion in that decision. And I, I don't know if I think one of the biggest things is I think that's the biggest message or one of the biggest messages I think that should be um, driven home every time someone, I, I, like I said, I wish, I wish every time you went through the, uh, you know, that, that, that there was an ability for us to provide a presentation, a PowerPoint yeah. presentation of the do's and do nots for every single person out there that went, that goes through the process of uh, carrying concealed. I'll even say maybe even to give it, give it a permit, a gun permit. Um, because those are very important things, whether you're a member of CCW SAFE or whether you're just a law-abiding citizen out there, those are very important things that you got to make sure that you're living by, um, you know, so. Uh, I believe the average concealed carrier doesn't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah. They don't yeah. realize these steps that you got to experience firsthand. And although yeah. I believe our criminal justice system is probably the best in the world, it's not a perfect system. Yeah. And you if know, you don't have the resources to put together a team to either uh, head that filing off 
before charges are filed uh, and then present and counter and evaluate the evidence. In that case, if I recall right, the uh, firearms examiner also had a mistake that he admitted from the stand. His first yeah. time to ever testify yeah. and had a mistake. The medical examiner, if you didn't have the team that had the uh, the experience to look at that evidence and say, no, that's not right, you would have accepted it on face value and uh, you know, the possibilities would have been very grim for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I'll, you, and I'll, you know, Steve, um, you know, I, I think about it like, and we, and we talk about, you know, the political nature of a lot of these cases and, you know, what we have to deal with as Americans and, um, you know, different sides of the coin, whether you love guns or not, you know, your particular case was really interesting because it, it actually went beyond the politics of race because the prosecutor was black, right? And the judge was black, right? And yes, several, it was a mix of your jurors, but, and then, you know, both parties, the attacker and you were black. And so that kind of removed race out of the way. And we went on facts and expertise. And it really came down to, you know, the higher team and who could actually you know, paint the picture the best. And we did an awesome job of doing that with your help because it also takes a good person doing the right thing at the right time, right? Yes. So like, we were really happy to, you know, be there for you and, and you know, and to continue this relationship is just something that's special to me. You know, Mike and I, we talk about it. You know, we did 20 years on the police department. I left in 2012, put a lot of people in jail, you know, yeah. never really cared about keeping someone out of jail. You were my first. So you were my cherry popper on but really caring about what the system was and how how flawed it was. As Gary said, it is the best in the world, but it's still flawed in that, you know, some innocent people can go to prison for the rest of their lives by not having the finances or the expertise to get themselves out of it. Right. And I, and I know we don't have much longer, but one of the things I just wanted to, and again, I can talk to you guys for hours about this because it's just, it's just so much to learn and, and that we can you know, share with the, with the population out there. But one of the things is um, the most disheartening thing that you hear is, you know, you hear senseless gun violence. And, you know, for me, you know, I, there's a loss of life is a, is a horrible thing, right? Of any magnitude. But firearms, one of the things is my aspirations. One day I wish I'd get the opportunity to talk to, Congress, because one of the things that's more disheartening to me is when firearms is used as a root cause of anything. And even if you took firearms out the equation, if you look at the attack that happened in East France, where they took the, the, the truck and they drove through the parade and killed 70 people, no one goes on live and say, you know what, we're going to hold, you know, uh, Ford responsible because someone used a, a, a truck that's made by Ford to you know, kill or dismantle people, whatever it is, right? And so it's it's it bothers me when I log on and I see politicians use this 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 whole thing about guns as if guns are the root cause. Um, even with uh, you know uh, you know attacks where someone chooses to use a firearm, what's more important to me is addressing the mental illnesses out there, dealing dealing with hate. Um, and, and quite frankly, um, you know, our First Amendment freedom of speech kills more people than anything because there's more hate that's yeah. pumped into this world through social media, through news outlets and anything else 
that causes more violent attacks than anything else. But we're not out there saying, you know what, let's talk about, um, you know, you no longer can have the right to, to, to say what you want to say on social media. That's our First Amendment, right? And to say that we can pump out all the hate through these outlets because it's your right for freedom of speech, but yet and still you want to say a firearm is should be banned or you know we should do away with the Second Amendment. I just feel like that's just it's, it's complete contradiction of, yeah. of, 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 of freedom of speech. And, and so for me, I think that there is more energy that should be focused on uh, mental health. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, 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 and holding people accountable for what they say that mm-hmm. drive hate than anything. It's not the firearm. People use vehicles to kill people all the time, but we're not out there saying that, you know, we need to stop making Mack trucks or box vans because people are using these things to kill people. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your attacker didn't use a firearm. Right. Do you have any doubt that he would have inflicted inflicted lethal injury on you? No, no doubt. And, and and you know during the during the trial, you know there was some evidence. It's, it's, you know there's a possibility that there was a firearm out there. That you mm-hmm. know. So there's some things that came up during the trial. Um, even you know we I believe his wife was there. She testified first for the state, and she was our biggest witness, even though she's supposed to be testifying for the state. Um, there was a lot that happened that night that unanswered questions um, that, you know, that, that <clears throat> I have no doubt that I would have died that day. No doubt. Yeah. There, there's just so many, so many directions that these, these things spin off. And to, to be able to have somebody that's lived through this experience, to have this life experience and be able to share it with with other members and other carriers out there um, is such is such a bonus. Um, you know, you you made an effort to get away. You made an effort to to remove yourself. You made an effort to to de-escalate it. Um, and I always kind of go back to to one of the things that Stan tells people, and it's. How would you behave in this situation if you didn't have a firearm? What, what would your option be? What, what would you press forward with right here if you didn't? Um, that's, that's really the way these things need to be looked at all the time. Um, he's, you know, Stan, you said something a couple of months ago on, on a podcast that I still, it, it was so illuminating to Gary and I and it was the fact that if I'm involved in a, in a lethal incident as an officer, the response that I receive from the investigators and everybody else is I'm a victim. Mm-hmm. And as a concealed carrier, that's not the way you're looked at. You are the suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's a really big thing. Um, you know, we've, we understand the trauma memories and things like that. And the reason for giving officers, I think, I think the agency we, we retired from gives them two sleep cycles at a minimum um, to kind of calm your mind and, and get all those chemicals to settle down. The, the rush of, and you've experienced, Stephen, you, you understand what that's like. Um, and the physical exhaustion just from having that 
enormous adrenaline dump where you can't even you can't even hardly stay awake. Um, we've we've all seen that on the other side, you know, from law enforcement looking back at at somebody that had been involved in an incident. So to understand those things and to to glean that knowledge from somebody else is absolutely priceless. So I, I'm really hoping people would watch this not just once, but over again, because there's going to be things that you missed from Stephen or your or something we've thrown out there for you that are critical. So right. and, and I'll say Rob, not only that, not only watch it, watch it twice, but if you know someone that's carrying a firearm that yeah. does the right thing, share it with them. You know, it's one of the things is I, you know, you know, I, I, I wish I had the opportunity to, to, to or not have the opportunity to be here and share this experience, but it's here. And if someone else can learn through some of the things that I may have done wrong by not giving an interview up front, um, you know, I hope they can learn through through my experience. So not only watch it, but share it with someone um, yeah. that you can a file on. And I wouldn't even say, Steve, that it was a matter of you doing something wrong. It's we have to make a decision. Yeah. And that's there are some out there that say absolutely don't say anything to law enforcement. And I think that's the quickest way to end up in handcuffs. But you have to understand your own capability of giving a, a informative interview. And you were in no physical emotional condition to give an informative interview yeah uh yeah. and that's uh, that's what again we i don't like to say it was something you did wrong it was a choice you made under those certain when i was involved in my incident i did the same thing mm -hmm. uh in hindsight <laughs> i would not do it right yeah yeah but Stephen, you know um as your your friend you're like my brother now um I want to thank you for taking the time out of your your busy schedule uh, to speak with us and and be here for our future members and our members uh, to give them some of your insight about how it feels to go through that entire process and how you are now. You know to show them that it, it doesn't just stop that you have to keep working on yourself. You have to you know keep if you need some assistance, get some assistance. We've really been pushing hard that people get counseling after their incident. You know, uh, people think that they, you know, it looks weak, but it's not weak. You know, you need time to rebuild from this and it's important. And that's why we support it. We, su we support anything that has to do with peers, you know, um, you know, healthy peer support. Uh, these guys are responsible for helping our members through that. And uh, like, we're really proud of you, where you've come. Uh, we're still here to support you. And, and once again, thanks. No problem. Thank you guys. And look forward to working with you all in 2023 as well. Stephen, we got to get you out here to Oklahoma City. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> Good talking to you, Steve. Likewise. Take care, gentlemen. Bye-bye, guys. Yeah, thank everybody for tuning in. And we look back, we look forward to seeing you back here next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you.